I've seen some crashes in my day in some volatile mining towns, some uh, speculative marketplaces which have lost 80% of their property value during uh, a correction phase. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show is a code cracker indeed. We are going to myth bust. Yes, it's time to have the myth busting show. We haven't had a myth busting show. We're going to do it today. And of course, I was always a big fan of myth busters, those crazy scientists that would go around exposing that methane wasn't dangerous. But today we are going to go through some myths that we need to bust in real estate because a lot of people really make some poor decisions based around some of the myths in real estate. And of course, our decisions are really linked to the financial outcome we get in life. If we choose to play, we can create a financial outcome. And quite often, if we don't play hard enough, we won't get a financial outcome from real estate. So I think today there will be some great gold nuggets. We don't know till we get to the end. So stick around. Let's see what we can come up with when it comes to myth-busting real estate. And of course, welcome back, urban property investors. I hope your week has been wonderful. I've had a wonderful week. Uh, I feel on top of the world. So uh, I'm ready to do a great show. And of course, if it's your first time tuning into the program, well, remember, play the program in double speed. Get your life back. Uh, Don't sound like a chipmunk. And of course, all the episodes I've done are lessons on real estate. So feel free to go back in time. And if you're watching on YouTube, welcome to YouTube. Uh, Yes, I'm dressed as a myth buster from the old TV show, Myth Busting. Uh, So I am in character for this absolute podcast episode. If you're listening on your little earphones, uh, well, you probably won't notice I'm wearing a little choo-choo train hat, just like the myth-busting guy. But hey, let's do this. Uh, You know, there are some things which really come up commonly when it comes to the idea that property and investment is a uh, risk to people. And of course, one of the greatest myths, probably the first myth that we need to cover off on is that the best time to buy is when the market crashes. And I've been in real estate now for 30 years and really only lived through one or two years of hyper supply, which has pushed a market to accelerate a drop in price. Really, the Australian property market doesn't go through massive, massive crashes. And of course, um, you know, if it did, the idea of the myth of buying when the market crashes, well, you know, we could bust that myth that you should buy when the market crashes. But the problem is for mainstream real estate investment, for the best properties out in the marketplace, they are generally in places which are in very high demand. And even if there is a market downturn, those suburbs don't necessarily crash. Uh, 
I've seen some crashes in my day in some volatile mining towns, some uh, speculative marketplaces which have lost 80% of their property value during uh, a correction phase. But really, when I analyzed the fundamentals of those marketplaces, there were none. There were no fundamentals. Really, uh, one crash in particular that stands out, which I labeled the crash uh, of the century and the crack cocaine of property investment was uh, the Murrumbah crash. Uh, there was a place up in Queensland where a lot of property investors invested and uh, people were paying for a small 7,000 person town, $1.2, $1.3 million for a property. They were getting $2,000 a week in rent. They were buying those yields but it wasn't sustainable because there was no fundamentals to the township other than the mining companies renting properties. When the mining companies changed tact and started to uh, put people in their own accommodation through uh, their own camps, then there was no demand for the houses and uh, people literally went bankrupt in that marketplace. Uh, Do you wait for that kind of crash and then scoop into those marketplaces and buy? I don't think so. What's the point? It's just going to go through another sawtooth market environment. I prefer stable marketplaces that don't crash. So I'm going to bust the myth on this. Don't wait for a crash. Just find a stable marketplace which ultimately won't crash. And I'm a big believer of stable suburbs in our top 10 cities which are populated and uh, you can't really go wrong. You may get a period of opportunity where there's a downturn, but it's very, very unlikely to have a market crash whereby the real estate in those areas will halve in price. Uh, If those marketplaces were a halve in price, you would absolutely buy them for half the price, but I wouldn't be waiting for that day because you could be waiting a hundred years. So the first myth that we're going to bust is you should wait for a market crash. Market crashes happen in markets where you shouldn't invest. So don't invest in a market crash. The next myth is uh, also an equally important one. The price you pay for property is the most important factor. I'm going to bust the myth on this. I think uh, a lot of people buy real estate and angle down on inexpensive properties and really uh, try and haggle something cheaper. And of course, what happens is when people haggle for a real cheap deal, they can quite often put themselves in a place which is also cheap for a reason and gets a lower rate of capital growth than a high-performing property which people actually overpay for. And so in real estate, there's kind of this volatility index around real estate on the day of sale. A property can swing in roundabouts. It can be worth 10% more on the day of sale or 10% less. Now, obviously, if you can get the property at a good price, that's important. And it But the most important thing is really the rate of capital growth you're going to get on the asset. I've seen people buy a bargain, an absolute bargain property that has gone on to get no 
capital growth. So they simply bought a property which had a perception of a discount, but actually provided no long-term wealth to it. If properties are going to be given away, quite often they're being given away for a reason. So I'm going to bust the myth on that one as well, whereby, sure, if you can find a bit of a bargain on the day of sale, there's a bargain to be had and it's the right property, grab out, reach that, uh, reach for that bargain. Uh, the price will certainly, obviously, you know, is more competitive if you can get a bit of better price. But if you're in it for the long term, then really it's not the price you pay that is the most important factor. I'm going to bust the miss on that. The most important factor is going to be the rate of growth. Now, obviously you don't want to extremely overpay for property because then really, you know, you're not following logic. But as long as you're you're paying within 5% of the property's price, whether over or under, and it's a good property, good bones, good fundamentals, good uh, growth rate expectations, that's really probably the most important thing. I wouldn't get hung up buying a bargain in a low growth rate marketplace. I'd prefer to pay extra to buy in a high growth rate marketplace Um and uh, you know, pay full price if you like, then uh, get a discount in a subpar location. So the myth is busted in my view when it comes to price being the most important factor of real estate. I think the next myth we need to bust is that properties go up in value every single year, the year-on-year concept. It doesn't happen. And uh, a lot of people probably look at spreadsheets and see that there's line-by-line growth that is factored into property calculators. Uh, really, the, the concept is at some point the market will grow and the uh, years where real estate doesn't grow is usually followed by years where real estate does grow. And so you might have five bad years in real estate and then five good years in real estate. So certainly property does not grow every single year. If your marketplace is subject to a 6% capital growth rate, uh, it does not mean every year the market is going to do a performance of 6%. So I think we can bust that myth. It's a nice, easy one to bust. And logic, obviously, it plays a part in this conversation. The real estate market is like a little snake. It goes up and then it comes down and then it goes up and then it comes down. From a cycle point of view, really the start of the next cycle is always more expensive than the previous cycle. In other words, real estate is always worth more at the start of the next cycle than it was per the previous cycle. We have not seen in this country a new cycle start where real estate is actually priced below the previous cycle. So it's kind of like this snake which goes up in value, takes time to increase in value, but it does increase in value. And uh, you can own real estate for a cycle. PropTech suggests the cycle is 15 years for a property to double in value. You might get no growth for seven years and then eight years worth of growth. You might get no growth for 10 years and then five years worth of growth. 
Obviously, you've got to think long-term, which is the toughest part. I always say the biggest problem for property investors is the problem of time. And time allows you to get the full cycle of growth. And that includes bumper years of accelerated growth, which is really, really important. The next myth I think we need to bust, and uh, I can bust this using properties I've bought over the years. Uh, Properties always go up in value, not to be confused with the cycle always going up in value. Properties don't always go up in value. And even over a cycle, properties can actually not actually go up. And so it's very, very important. If you choose a low growing property, it can actually go through a 15 year period with no growth. In fact, the growth can be worse than the inflation rate. If there is growth, it's less than really the cost of inflation, meaning it is actually negative growth when it comes to its outcome. Now, I recently sort of analyzed a property I bought in 2006. I sold it in 2016. It is now 2023. I bought it in a marketplace because it had high cash flow, but no growth. Um, And when I look at the result of that property, uh, which I offloaded it in 2016 because I got sick of the concept of no growth, uh, still to this day, uh, when compared to inflation, it has gone backwards. And so there are, is real estate out there that you will put your foot on. If you get it wrong, you will wake up in 2038, like this is 15 years from now, and have no growth. So uh, all properties do not grow in value. It's a absolute myth. Uh, you can absolutely get this wrong. And you think about that time horizon, 15 years, how important is that to your retirement? Fortunately for me, I bought that property, but I also bought others and I diversified into a rather large portfolio, which made up for the mistake of buying that property. It did not grow. I bought it for 140,000 in 2006, I sold it for 136,000 in 2016. Uh, so I made a loss and today it's worth 160,000. So in uh, that period of time since 2006, what's that? That's 10 so uh, well, 17 years it's it's risen in $20,000 but inflation would have gone up far more so in that period of time like it's gone backwards so not all properties go up in value and it's very very important that uh, you understand that sort of uh, conversation in fact sometimes the higher yielding properties actually grow the less it's a bit counterintuitive That's sort of how it works. So then we can bust the myth on that. Uh, Property allows you to get rich quick. Well, as I just alluded to, uh, it doesn't. It's actually a bit of a slow grind. Uh, So I think we need to, to have this conversation because I like to teach the property trifecta, the idea that buy and hold is a long term concept. And again, uh, 
if you think about buy and hold as your backbone assets to your real estate investment, it's a good way to consider how real estate works. Like before you speculate into get rich fast accumulation acceleration processes, you probably need to become a sophisticated investor. And so if you're not a sophisticated investor, if your accountant can't tell you you're a sophisticated investor, it's very hard to accelerate your wealth. You've got to go through a slow version of wealth creation and real estate is a slow version of wealth creation. It's not a get rich quick process. In fact, today with responsible lending and the way uh, we look at borrowing money, it's a grind. It's a grind. But people can have good results in real estate. I just had a client uh, buy an asset for 1.2. He bought it pre-construction, settled on a 1.8 vow and has really a market price at about 2.1. So the gentleman's made close to a million dollars over a short period of time, which is probably counterintuitive to my conversation, but that in itself was a real good piece of timing and a real good piece of uh, of buying that got him that result. That is a bit of a unicorn. It can happen, but I'm going to bust the myth on that real estate allows you to get rich quick because it's a perverted ego measurement actually is a slow road to success. And that is the buy and hold part of it. Where you can accelerate your wealth is part of the property trifecta. Now, I teach buy and hold. If you can't do buy and hold, I don't know how you're going to do uh, flips and subdivisions and, um, you know, strata titling subdivisions and development. Uh, But as you graduate as a property investor, I believe the process is actually a proven process through the ATO, which is uh, you build your buy and hold portfolio, you get to a point where you're considered sophisticated. Um, The ATO, ASIC, all agree you're sophisticated. Then you do sophisticated acceleration activities. Uh, And they allow you to accelerate your wealth. They allow you to create income far more rapidly by doing uh, investments. And uh, again, like I just think for most people, uh, the get rich quick doesn't happen. But the more you've got capital deployed, the easier it is to actually speed up your wealth creation. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you've got a $500,000 asset, you know, for it to uh, make a million dollars, that real estate needs to double twice. And so if we measured a million dollars as a get rich uh, mechanism, you know, you need to watch that real estate double once from the 500,000 and and basically another another $500,000 over and above that. However, if you've got $10 million worth of real estate deployed, you don't need a 100% growth and in that past example, another 50% growth on top of that, you don't need 150% growth. You need 10% growth. And so again, you can get rich quick from real estate, 
but you actually need to have a lot of capital deployed in a wealth acceleration space to do that. And that's why the rich are getting richer, the poor are staying poor. But to get to that acceleration point, it is a slow boat. It is a bit of a burn. It's going to take 15, 20 years and there's nothing wrong with that. Just go through it and accelerate your wealth when you're ready and considered sophisticated. So I'm going to bust the myth. Property investment is a slow vehicle of wealth creation. It is not crypto. Uh, It is slow. It can speed up, but uh, I think that for the purpose of today's show, for a buy and hold investors, I'm going to bust the myth. When you're ready as a sophisticated investor, you can speed things up and do more accelerated ways to make money. Um, Really, uh, that's why we have the rulings on who is a sophisticated investor and who is not. So the get rich side of the equation, in my viewpoint, is designed for people who can handle risk. They can do the get rich quick stuff. Uh, you need a large amount of money to get started in real estate. I'm going to bust the myth on this one as well. The governments around Australia are very pro-property and they will help people with first home and grant money. They will help people with stamp duty concessions. Often we talk about, you know, the savings time for a 20% deposit. Well, a lot of people, why not use mortgage insurance and borrow at 90% and just pay a capitalized mortgage insurance cost on your mortgage, which just means you add the cost of mortgage insurance to your mortgage and paid off over 30 years. I actually think for people who are getting into the market, um, you know, usually here in Australia, it's, it's, it's not hard to get into the market. Some people make it hard by having, I guess, Uh, flawed thinking about what they should buy when it comes to real estate. Uh, A lot of the people that I see sit out of the market are really almost have this sort of vain metric about, well, I wouldn't live there, so I wouldn't buy there or, um, you know, I'm only buying in my own backyard kind of concept. Really, it's holding them back because there are plenty of great places where you potentially wouldn't live, but other people love to live. And there's great communities being formed with high rates of capital growth. So you don't need a large amount of money to get started in property. In fact, your seed capital in the beginning is usually very, very small. Uh, It's, you know, uh, a, a token amount of money in the grand scheme of the oceans of money all around the world. So take the grants from the government, use the system for what it is, and uh, make hay, as they say. So uh, I'm going to bust the myth on that as well. I don't think you need a lot of money to get started in real estate. There are still opportunities around the place, and it's just going to mean for a few people it's actually a change in thinking, not a change in how much money you need in your back pocket, that is for sure. Uh, The next real myth I'm going to bust is that property is a hassle. Property is a hassle. I don't think it's a hassle. It's 
pays you money while you sleep. Now think about you going to work every day and exchanging your time for money. For a lot of people, they're doing 10, 12 hour days, sometimes longer. Uh, For a lot of people, six, seven days a week. Um, And real estate pays you while you sleep. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing concept that you can actually make more part-time from real estate than you can from your full-time job. So when we use the word hassle, I don't know, I'm going to bust the myth on this one because hassle to me is working six days a week. Uh, Hassle to me is not receiving a uh, water bill from a property manager that I pay $18 a week to. That is not a hassle. That is anything but a hassle. That is a pleasure because I know it's actually creating me a second job, which I'm not actually doing, which is not a hassle, which is paying me money while I sleep. So property investing, uh, being too much of a hassle, no, that's a myth. That's a furphy. That's not real. Move on. The next uh, conversation I think we got to have is that Not everyone is wealthy from real estate. Uh, It's a myth to say everyone retires wealthy from property investment. It's bulldust. People do not retire wealthy from property investment. Australia is full of property owners that are asset rich and cash poor. They go to the local RSL for dinner are in retirement and live in houses which are worth money but can't sell those houses because they can't rebuy anything. So there's a lot of money trapped in housing and not a lot of cash in people's back pockets closer to retirement. So when we analyze basically the idea that everyone retires wealthy from property, it's a furphy an absolute furphy. And of course, the statistics are quite interesting. Most people own one property investment, which is great. Like one is better than none. Uh, One plus your PPR is a great, great uh, place to be. But do people with one property and one PPR end up uh, basically retiring wealthy from real estate? Well, the answer is no. It's uh, It helps, but it those people do not end up in a place with accelerated wealth. And again, uh, it comes down to capital in the market. Simply put, if you've got more money in the market that's growing at a higher rate of growth, you can retire wealthy. And of course, for a lot of people, they enter what is known as the 1% club, which is really uh, a club of small property investors. There's only around... 20,000 people, according to ATO statistics, that has a huge amount of real estate in the marketplace deployed and basically accelerating their wealth from it. And uh, again, when we hear these sort of things about greedy property investors uh, that have, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 properties, uh, there's a very, very short and small few of them. And uh, certainly they are retiring wealthy from real estate. It's as simple as that. So certainly if you can get to three, four, five properties 
Um, good properties. Uh, and again, one good property is better than two basic properties. I can tell you that right now. Um, you know, one good property that is going to double and double again is better than, you know, basically some some cheaper ones. So it's not necessarily the, the number of properties. It's the amount of capital that is deployed in the marketplace, which is really the most important factor to a wealthy retirement. So not everyone retires wealthy from property, but those with enough capital deployed retire wealthy from property. That is for sure. I think the greatest myth that is betrayed in the marketplace is you need to go and get a loan and buy a home. It is a myth that that is a number one thing to do in Australia. If I asked everyone listening to the podcast today, and there uh, are literally thousands of people that tune into this podcast most weeks, how many of you live in your dream home? Uh, I would imagine the answer would be around one in 50. One in 50 people is usually the number. It's a mathematical equation. I've asked this question to multiple live audiences before, and usually it's about one in 50 people live where they want to live, in the home they want to live, and live the life they want to live. And of course, uh, a lot of people through social engineering basically want a roof over their head and end up buying a home which is not their dream home. And of course, uh, don't end up having extra capital to ever become property investors. I mean, the alternative way to do this is to buy some investments, use those investments to basically upgrade to your dream home. Quite often, because investments carry a rental return, means you can actually deploy more capital, get a higher rate of growth on the deployed capital. In other words, you can buy more because you've got the ability to use the rents to to buy more. And for a lot of people, one of the best ways to end up in the home they want is to trade into the home they want, is to buy the real estate later, but be in the market to keep up with the market. And it's certainly a strategy I personally used. Um, the first property I bought uh it was an investment. The second property I bought was investment. I didn't buy my own home until I'd been through 10 investments and traded into it. And I'm happy to say I live in the home I want to live in. I live in the place which makes me happy. I'm in my happy place. And so investment allowed me to do that. I see a lot of people living in an unhappy place and they do that through bank social engineering, go and get a bank loan and get a roof over your head. So your first purchase certainly doesn't need to be your own home. It can be an investment. Uh, and uh, if you're smart with your investment decision, you can use that investment to potentially even buy a better home later down the track. I think home ownership is important. I think people owning a home they're proud to live in is 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 really important to the fabric of society. And so again, one stepping stone way to do that is through investments and the deployment of capital. And of course, you can do that by buying your first home and then upgrading to a second home. 
But again, uh, I think it's a myth to say you really must buy your first home before an investment. Absolutely myth, myth, and more myth in that statement. There's nothing left to buy. Uh, Now, certainly I'm seeing the eradication of real estate around Australia by virtue of uh, things becoming more and more expensive. But there is stuff to buy. And again, um, you know, you've got to be in it to win it. Will there be less properties to buy 10 years from now in better locations than there are today? Absolutely. There is a diminishing level of opportunity that is without question true inside of Australia. Is there current opportunities in the Australian property market? Yes, there is. And again, like as time goes by, it just gets harder and harder and harder. So, you know, sitting on the fence is probably the worst thing you can do. Uh, There is properties to buy which are high quality, good value pieces of property. You just got to get out there and get amongst it. And, uh, you know, you'll find the diamonds in the rough, so to speak. It would be beneficial if you only made purchases in places you were comfortable with. Look, again, probably the biggest lesson I got was the first property I ever bought. I bought it in a place I was comfortable with. Did that make it good real estate? No. In fact, my first property I made a loss on because I bought it in a place I was comfortable with. When I stepped back from that comfort uh, scotoma I was going through, I realized comfort actually equaled dying dreams. The idea that I was comfortable buying something that I knew uh, and was a subpar location, but in my mind was a place which I was morally comfortable with, I was in comfortable with with the environment there, didn't make it good real estate. It just made my mind feel at ease. And of course, your mind is not investment. Investment is numbers. It's the return on investment. It's the return, the gross yield, the net yield. It's the operating costs. It's the rate of growth. All of these things are true concepts of investment. Uh, The idea that you need to be comfortable uh, and you need to live in the place where you invest or you need to uh, only invest in places you you know really, really well is flawed, is absolutely flawed. See, uh, you could look at the Perth market over the last 10 years, right? It hasn't really grown at all. It's starting to now, which is nice for people in Perth. You could have been a Perth investor in the last 10 years and bought in places you were comfortable with, but the metrics were never there. So for a lot of people in Perth, they've missed millions of dollars of investment opportunity by not coming to the East Coast, a place they're uncomfortable with. Um, And again, like all of these things go through roundabouts, but the conversation of just investing where you're comfortable Comfortable equals dying dreams. You actually need to invest where you're uncomfortable. 
And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but it's a very accurate statement. We want to actually invest on proper fundamentals and sometimes proper fundamentals come at a cost and make us uncomfortable and get us out of our comfort zone. So it's a very important dynamic. The next myth that we got to bust is that the less expensive the property, uh, the better it is. The cheaper the property, the better it is. Uh, this is another absolute uh, lie when it comes to real estate. Cheap properties are cheap for a reason and uh, they're probably cheap because they're in a place of low demand, they're in a much older building, perhaps the building itself or the property or the dwelling is in a poor state of repair. Uh, it's usually got um, a factor of low return or low rent because it's so cheap. Um, it attracts, you know, cheap um, people with a budget um, and, uh, of course, a low socioeconomic of rent. Unfavorable renters is not a great way to be a property investor. No one wants to be a slumlord. Everyone wants to be a landlord. Big difference in uh, the idea of uh, cheaper properties are actually less expensive to own. It's a myth. I've owned cheaper properties and they become more expensive to own because what happens is the rate of rental growth does not supersede the rate of uh, growth or inflationary growth on costs. And so what happens is your costs eat your back pocket and uh, really the cost uh, arbitrage against the, the price, it just doesn't work. The maths actually falls apart. So cheap properties are not less expensive to own. That is a myth. Now think about it. If you have a uh, $700,000 property and you're getting a rent of $700 a week and you get a plumber to come over to fix the toilet, let's say that's going to cost you $350 a week, uh, a $350 repair. That's half a week's rent, right? Now let's go and do that for a $350,000 property with $350 a week in rent. Same toilet, same plumber, $350 to repair it. Uh, that's a full week's worth of rent. And this is what happens to cheaper properties. They don't have the income profile to actually keep up with the dollar profile of really how uh, people are employed. People are employed in dollars, in dollars. And so uh, things cost money in dollars. And so again, proportionately, we might say, well, the $700,000 property with the $700 a week in rent was 50% for, of, the, of the rent but we are talking a dollar figure. And this is where cheaper properties struggle is the dollar cost of real things. Council rates are dollar cost. Strata fees are dollar cost. Insurance a dollar cost. A repair is a dollar cost. And so against the percentage, the dollars become very, very high. So the cheaper the property, the less expensive it will be to run is a myth. I've been through that myth. I've got the lashes on the back from that myth. I'm going to bust that myth. 
And finally, uh, the final myth I want to brush is cheaper properties are less risky than more expensive properties. Uh, again, I think this is a myth. I think um, the idea of owning one high-quality property is better than two cheaper properties. I certainly have seen the results of owning a better grade piece of real estate and two low-grade pieces of property. And again, you it's a bit counterintuitive because you go, well, if it's if the price is more, it's got to be more risky. Well, price, cost, and value are three different things. And as long as the price creates value, and if it's at a more expensive rate, usually it's linked to better things, better location, better land characteristics better building perhaps, it's got less problems with it. Um, and again, when you lower your price, you actually increase your risk. Counterintuitive, I know. But most people who've been successful out of real estate have not done it off really cheap properties because the risk of those properties is actually higher. And again, they've got further to travel from a capital growth point of view. They've got, um, they need more capital growth to perform, which actually creates more risk. They uh, generally are places of low demand, low building quality, and, you know, more repairs and maintenance, and it just increases your risk. It's just the way it works. And again, like sometimes if we were to think about you can have the same yield on a cheap property as you can have on a more impressive property. And again, like it's chalk and cheese as to the result you end up with. One gets a higher rate of growth. And again, in dollar terms, it sort of goes back to the the previous myth we busted. In dollar terms, uh, again, like you've just got less of a journey to go to to accelerate your wealth. Um, when you've got a really expensive, uh, inexpensive property, for it to make you wealthy, the capital growth rate on that inexpensive property has to travel so far, so far. And that increases your risk because you need more time in the market for that journey to unfold. And again, like, um, you know, there's, there's just myths out there which I think we should really, uh, you know, comprehend. And I think properties that are cheaper are not less risky. They're actually more risky because of the trade-offs. I would prefer just a moderately priced property with limited trade-offs than a cheaper property with trade-offs. Uh, it's, it's The trade-offs are, are really what you're buying. And uh, everything is built into the price and the consensus of trade-offs is building to the price of cheaper properties and therefore they carry more risk. Those trade-offs will be building problems, uh, land problems, uh, flooding issues. There'll be roofing issues. There'll be gutter issues. There's no, You don't make more money by replacing your gutters. No one pays you more for their property for new gutters. It doesn't work like that. So the risk just gets higher the cheaper you go. And so it's a bit counterintuitive, I know, but 
It's the way it works. All right, folks, that's it from me. I'll catch you on the next show. Let's talk more real estate then. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.